as I look at my watch, the service should last about an hour. It's 5.30, so we're halfway through the service, which means it's halftime. Now, we don't have dancing cheerleaders. We don't have a band for halftime show. We definitely don't have concessions. But I know at halftime, if you don't take a little break, um, things don't go well. And I'm thinking specifically of our children in this room. They probably need a little stretch break. So kids, I need your help for something, okay? On the count of three, I want us all, if you're kid age and down, so you can determine if you're kid age or not, I want us to all just to scream out, yell together, happy birthday, Jesus, okay? Now, kids, I know your parents told you don't you ever yell in church, don't you talk in church, and tonight you better be really quiet in church, but the pastor is giving you permission to yell, happy birthday, Jesus. Kids, can you do that with me? Okay, on the count of three, we're going to just yell it out good. One, two, three. Okay, I heard some kind of deep past puberty voices in that happy birthday, Jesus, but we'll let that go tonight. Really, happy birthday, Jesus. You know, over this last month as we've celebrated the Advent season, I could ask the question, anybody in this room, what is a word that describes the Advent season? And you'd probably come up with words like peace or joy. You might think of an expression that you hear in the story, you know, goodwill to all men. Those would be expressions or words that would you use. But if I ask the children tonight, what's a word that you would use to describe this night? I think the word they would probably choose would be waiting, okay, waiting. Like you got all dressed up, you brought the whole family to church, you're looking forward to this, just this nice family moment, but the kids are going, can we go home now? We've got somebody coming to see us tonight. We have presents to open. They're in this season of waiting, and while we think peace and goodness and joy are good things, the kids right now are not appreciating the waiting part. There's nothing cute about the waiting part. I mean, think back to when you were a kid, and that first time that mom brought out a Christmas present, stuck it underneath the Christmas tree, and what did you do? You ran to see who that Christmas present was to. So if it was yours, you could shake and rattle. And let's have a little confession right now. You could even kind of tear open a corner of it if nobody's around to see what was in that box, right? So as children, we hated waiting as much as our kids right now dislike waiting. But what do we do as parents? You're sick. You grow up and you make your kids wait just like you hated waiting when you were a kid. There's just something sick about that, right? This whole idea of waiting is not a good thing. And, and really, waiting is okay as long as it's you not having to do the waiting, right? But I know as we think about waiting tonight... Like we can laugh about waiting to open the presents. We can laugh about waiting until, until tomorrow morning or somebody special brings more presents. But if you're in a real place in life, and I'm not talking a Christmas place, but just an everyday real place, waiting can be difficult, can't it? As I look around the room and I know many of your stories and others I see in here that I'm meeting for the first time, you have your own stories, that there could be a possibility that you're in a personal season of waiting. And that waiting might be including wait till after the holidays so you can sit down with the doctors to plan some kind of medical plan, how you're going to carry out the next days in front of you. It might not be about your health. Maybe your waiting is you're waiting for the MasterCard bill to come in in January so you can figure out how you can pay for December for everything you bought on your credit card, right? It could be waiting for a son or daughter or family member who seems prodigal to come back home. There's so many forms that we're waiting for. And again, it's cute when the kids have to wait, but when we have to wait in our own lives with our own problems in real time, that waiting is not so fun. But here's what I'm beginning to learn in my life. Well, I'm not signing up for waiting, and I don't want to have to endure myself the waiting. 
The waiting is often when God is processing us and using us and molding us for something greater than we can ever imagine. In fact, I want to take you to a story of somebody from the original Christmas story that knew what it meant to wait. Now, it's interesting. The person I want to take you to and talk about and read about tonight, his name is Simeon. You go, Simeon? I didn't know there's a Simeon in the, in the nativity story. I know there's wise men and there's shepherds and there's Mary and there's Joseph and there were angels and maybe there's a donkey and, and we can name all these characters and all these people in the Christmas story, but a Simeon. In fact, if you go to any store or walk out and there are four you out there, there won't be any ceramic figurines of a Simeon out there. So you're going, Simeon? Simeon's in the Christmas story? I often think to myself, how come he never made it to the well-known Christmas story? Could it be we forgot about him? Or could it be that we don't want to remember him? Because when we remember him, we realize that we all are called to seasons of waiting. And so I want to read this story to you. The book of Luke chapter 2. It's about Simeon. And here's what it says. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem. His name was Simeon. And he was righteous and devout. I want you to remember those two words, righteous and devout. Righteous and devout doesn't mean he was perfect. Righteous and devout doesn't mean he was some holy man. Righteous and devout just meant he was a good man before God. He tried to live his life in a way that would honor God and honor those people around him. He was righteous and devout. And here's what the Bible says about this righteous and devout man. He was righteous and devout, and he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Notice he's righteous and devout, and he was eagerly waiting. If you're here tonight and you're in a season of waiting, I want you to know this and remember this and always be reminded of this, that waiting for God doesn't mean you did something bad against God. I think sometimes in our prayer life, when you're praying and praying, something's not happening and you're waiting and you're waiting, we have this tendency to say, God, what, what, what did I do wrong? God, are you mad at me? God, are you frustrated at me? Why are you making me wait this way? We think of waiting as some kind of banishment into the spiritual land till God is no longer upset at you. But Simeon wasn't banished. God wasn't mad at Simeon. The Bible describes Simeon as righteous and good, righteous and devout. Here's what we need to understand. Many times when we're in a waiting season, we're in one of the most God-centered seasons available in your life. Because God is putting the pieces together over here. God is doing things over here. God is preparing your own life for something in store for you that you could have never created on your own. And that was Simeon. He was waiting for the Messiah. You see, Simeon came from the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, they had waited for the Messiah. They had grown up learning about it. They had learned about it in school. They had learned about it in church. They had learned about it in their parents. That God had promised hundreds of years earlier that God would indeed send his son, the Messiah, the Savior, to save all the nation of Israel. And Simeon was one of these guys that read it, heard it, believed it. And so the Bible says that he waited. Look what else it says about him. It says the Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So somehow, just as the Holy Spirit through an angel had appeared to Mary, had appeared to Joseph, had made his appearance in different ways, the Holy Spirit had come to Simeon and said, Simeon, in your waiting, there'll be a time that you'll die, but you won't die until you see the Messiah. 
Now, the Bible doesn't describe and doesn't tell Simeon who, how, and what the Messiah will look like. The nation of Israel was looking for like the king to come in, probably on some big horse and a chariot, and lead all the nation of Israel to be their top dogs again. But just said, you won't die until you see the Messiah. So then the Bible goes on to say this, verse 27. That day the little spirit led him to the temple. And so when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required. Let me kind of pause here and kind of set the story up for you. The reason you never see Simeon in the stable with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the donkeys and the horses and the sheep and the cows is because this part of the nativity story wasn't taking place on the night that Jesus was born. This part, this moment in the nativity story was happening seven or eight days later when the baby Jesus was in the temple being presented and dedicated. You see, it was a tradition of the day in the Jewish people that when a male child was born, he would be brought to the temple those days later and his parents would present him, dedicate him unto God. And that was just all part of the religious ceremony that that child would go through. And so undoubtedly, somehow the Holy Spirit came to Simeon and said, Simeon, you need to go to the temple because there's a special service going on. It's not just your normal temple regular service. It's a temple service that the baby Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, is being dedicated that day. And so the Bible lets us know on this day that that Simeon shows up. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how old Simeon was. In my mind, as I read this story, I'm thinking he was an older gentleman. Not to the point that one foot in the grave and one foot out but to the point that he could appreciate the life that he had lived, but knew there were less days in front of him than days behind him. A man of wisdom, a man of character, a man of understanding God and his big plan. And so go with me on that day. Simeon walks into the temple. It was up front up here, just like we have up here. It was probably full of people just like we have now. There was aunts and uncles and cousins. There was neighbors. There was friends. There were just church attenders at this particular, uh, this particular service. And maybe, just maybe, Simeon sat four, five, six rows back right there like some of you are. And he's sitting there. And he's watching with great expectation because the Holy Spirit has said you need to go to the temple because the Savior, the Messiah will be presented that day. So here's a man that had waited, had waited his whole life, probably woke up every morning going, God, is today the day. And the day elapses and it wasn't the day. And he wakes up the next morning, God, is today the day. Probably every day of his life had been centered and focused on that, praying and asking that question. So on this one day, he goes to the temple going, and the Holy Spirit told me, today is the day that I see the Messiah. So he's sitting in the fifth or sixth or seventh chair back there. The priest is up here. He calls forward Mary and Joseph. Of course, they're bringing their child, baby Jesus, to be presented. And there were probably certain words that the priest said for every male child that was presented, dedicated like on this day. And he's standing up there. I can imagine to myself that Mary's holding baby Jesus. And like many moms and every mom, she's patting baby Jesus on the back. She's hoping the baby doesn't make a fuss and disturb the whole service. And she's just trying to coddle and just take care of baby Jesus. Joseph is sitting there going, I'm in charge, but I have no idea what I'm doing. And the priest is talking. And all of a sudden, maybe, as scripture describes it, and we read the details and kind of fill in details ourselves. Simeon, on the fifth or sixth or seventh row, stands up. And it wasn't normal for people to stand up in his service. 
And as he takes steps out into the aisle, people begin to look and they're probably thinking, oh, that old man needs to go to the bathroom, so no big deal. But instead of walking that way, on this particular service, Simeon came forward towards Mary and Joseph and the priest. Now, this could never happen in today's church services. Because in today's church services, every church has security guards and safety team members. They would already tackle him down if it would happen in this service. So we know it happened 2,000 years ago. But he makes his way up front. And as he approaches Mary, there had to be this moment that Mary's going, what's this man doing? I don't know this man. But yet God had already revealed to her that her son Jesus wasn't just his, her son, it was God's son. And that many things would transpire in his life that she didn't understand. In fact, that night the shepherds came to visit her after they left, the Bible says this, and she held these things in her heart. So I'm wondering, on this service that Simeon is walking up towards her, she's holding in her heart that he is her son, but he's not just her son. He's God's son, which means he's the world's son. And Simeon walks up there, and again, maybe because he's older, he's kind of got a slow walk, and he's kind of bent over a little bit, and he gets up to Mary, and he reaches out, and he takes the baby Jesus from her hands. And at this moment, the whole crowd, the whole church is sitting out there going, we don't know what to do. Should we get up? Should we stop him? Do we watch? There's just kind of this moment going, they're frozen watching what's unfolding. And he takes the baby Jesus, and he takes him in his hands. Again, Scripture doesn't tell us all these details, but as we read it, we can just imagine what transpired in that moment. And I got to believe, as he held the baby Jesus in his hands and he pulled him up closer, there had to be this moment of holy silence where it was supposed to something being said, but Simeon is just looking at, remember, he knows it's not just a baby. He knows the baby's not just son of Mary and Joseph. The Holy Spirit has revealed him it is the Messiah, the Savior of the Jews, and the Savior of the whole entire world. And so he holds this baby. And there had to be this moment that not a word was said. Because when you're looking and holding and experience the holiness of God that close to you, there are not words that can come out of your mouth to say what's going on. And maybe after a few minutes, and he's holding this baby the words begin to flow. And for the words, we don't have to pretend and imagine because Scripture lets us know exactly what he says. He holds the baby up and he says these words in Luke chapter 2, verse 29. Oh, sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. You see, he had spent his whole life waiting. And you think, oh, he's a godly man, he's devout, he's holy, he's good. Devouting like waiting, he just wakes up going, hey, great God, today's the day of waiting. Let me let you know this, just because you're holy, just because you're devout, just, just, just because you're righteous doesn't mean you enjoy waiting. But he's at this moment, and he's going, oh, sovereign God, now I can die in peace. Because what you promised me and the thing that I've been waiting for, it's in my arms. Verse 30, I have seen your salvation. The reason that he's at such peace right now, the reason that he knows his waiting is over with is not because he's holding a child, it's because he knows what salvation is and it's going to be found through this child. If it was just a child he's waiting on, he could have went to any service, any time, any parent and picked up a child and called it a day. 
but he's holding more than a child. He's holding salvation. He goes, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. Let me define all for you. Okay, it's really complicated. Okay, stick with me. All means all. All means every single person in this room. You know what I find interesting about Christmas Eve services? People come in with so many thoughts about God. People come in with so many expectations of who or what God should be in their life. And people come in with so many evaluations of their own life. And I've learned in a Christmas Eve service because his friends and families from afar and near and there's so many people, we come in here and there is probably more shame in this room than joy. Shame because you're going, why should I be going to church? Because I know what I did last week, the week before. Shame because this is my first time being in church since last Christmas. Confusion. God, are you real? Frustration. God, why didn't you come through like you said you would? I read and I watch other people's lives, and you've not been the God that everybody else says you are. So I come to church today trying to sing joy to the world, but I'm really mad at the world, God. And can I, can I be honest? I'm mad at you too. But when Simeon prays and salvation comes to the entire world, let me just let you know this. His salvation that Jesus brought 2,000 years ago through his birth and eventually his death and his burial and his resurrection is for all people. There's nothing you could have done. There's no frustration that you could have felt or even expressed to God. There's no distance you could have traveled away from God that God does not still love you. And as Simeon is holding this baby, more than a baby, he's holding God's salvation. It is for all people. For I've seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. And then he says this, he, meaning Jesus, is a light to reveal God to all nations. He is the glory of your people, Israel. And scriptures let us know this as we dig deeper. There is a nation of Israel, but we've all been grafted into the nation of Israel, the spiritual nation of Israel, and it is for us tonight. And so just as Simeon was at this moment going, I've waited and I've waited, I've struggled, I've, I've, I've had hardships, I'm waiting and I'm waiting. You were in your own probably season of waiting and you're going, God cannot wait anymore. I'm not even waiting for salvation. I'm waiting on my health. I'm waiting on a job. I'm waiting on a relationship. I'm waiting on reconciliation of a relationship. I am just waiting for my life to have purpose. And the waiting, many times we think is for our health and then we'll be better. The waiting is for this grief to go away, then we'll be better. But the real weight that we all need is the salvation of Jesus. It's interesting for my life. A year ago, myself and my wife were in a season of waiting. In fact, I'm gonna invite her to come up here um, and just stand with me, because this is not my story, this is our story. If you're a regular attender of, of South Sub Church, you realize anytime my wife comes on the stage and speaks, it costs me a new pair of shoes or something new because she doesn't like coming up here. So this time she's not going to talk. She's just going to make me look better by standing next to me because I spent all the money on Christmas and I don't have anything to bribe her with. So you just stand right here with me for our story. But a year ago, 
a year ago tonight. Christmas Eve wasn't fun. We weren't working here. In fact, we weren't working at any church that we'd worked at for the previous 30 years of ministry. We would, what you call um, unemployed. Several months before that, I had stepped away from my ministry position in San Diego, um, just knowing God was calling us to something different. And we've been waiting for a long time, and we sense God calling us just to wait, kind of like not at a church. And so I thought, well, okay, God, I'll trust you in faith, and we'll step away, and we'll wait for a couple of months, because this waiting ought to be good, but two months ought to be enough, right, God? And it was August, September, October, November, December, five months. We were homeless, not homeless living on the streets. We had moved in with my son and daughter-in-law and my granddaughter. While that was good for us, they're like, we're tired of waiting. You need to go get a job and get your own house. So they were having to struggle through this whole thing. But in this waiting, waiting for a job, waiting for some place to live, where we're going to be, here's the most difficult part for me. Purpose. I knew God had called me to be a pastor. I believed with all my heart that he'd called me to step out on faith or called us to step out on faith and wait. But when you wait day after day and nothing seems to look like it's going to happen, you lose purpose. Probably many of you know what I'm talking about, don't you? It's not just a job. You look at your health and you wonder your purpose. You look at your relationships. You look at your jobs. There's, it just it makes you question yourself. And it was a tough Christmas Eve last year. But about a week before Christmas Eve, I'd gotten a phone call from Joy Peterski, who is the chairperson of the search team looking for a new pastor at South Sub Church. And she said, I was given your name and I, the, the committee would like to begin interviewing you after the first of the year. And I'm kind of like, Simeon, I don't know if I got seven more days in me. Can we not interview now? But she said to get everybody together, let's do it after the first of the year. And we began interviewing and talking and waiting and interviewing and waiting and waiting some more and waiting a whole lot more than I wanted to wait. Do you know the feeling? But here's what I know. I'm standing here today. This is not about me and you and South Sub Church. This is about what got us through the waiting was not anything that we could do. It was we had to focus on Jesus Christ. Because we had to finally pray, God, if you don't ever give me a job again, we will worship Jesus. Because he is our salvation. He is our strength. And we had to focus just as Simeon was holding the Christ child. We had to hold not only the Christ child close to our heart, the resurrected Jesus in our lives. And going, we will wait and we will trust. In fact, I want to read you. This morning I woke up. And I was journaling. I like to journal. And I just want to read you what I wrote today. And I read this to you not to say, oh, look at Keith and what a good Christian, righteous, good man that he is. I read this to you because this is the story that God wants from all of us. Sunday, December 24th, 2023. Good morning, Lord. You are faithful. A year ago, we were waiting 
and we were wondering. Denise was struggling. We believed, yet we were weary. Does that describe anybody in your waiting right now? Despite where we were mentally and emotionally and physically and even spiritually, you, oh God, never wavered. You had everything planned. You were faithful. So Jesus, on this Christmas Eve, 2023, I say thank you. Thank you for calling me to you as a little boy. Thank you for revealing yourself intimately while I was in junior high school. Thank you for guiding my steps in life. Thank you for allowing me to drink deep with you as you led me and Denise to unconventionally follow you in faith. Thank you for the privilege of now pastoring South Sub Church. I would have quit on waiting a long time ago if it was up to me. But God was in the background constructing, creating, organizing, putting pieces in place that had a bigger plan than I could have ever imagined. I share that with you because this, no matter what you're waiting on, I know the promises of God is he is orchestrating your life in ways that you can't see. But if you're going to make it through the wait, yours and my focus must be on and only on Jesus, the Christ child. The reason for the season is to draw us back to the Son of God and his perfect plan that is found not in the details of my life, but in the salvation that he offers me. So tonight, church, whether you're a guest, family friend from out of town, or no matter who you are, tonight, what God wants you to see in this Christmas season so clearly is Jesus. And it's for that reason that we come to our fourth candle. If you know much about the Advent candle, the last candle is called the Christ candle. And it is to represent in our middle of our joy and our peace and all the different things that we find in Advent season that Jesus is indeed the reason for the season, the Christ candle. And so church, together, we celebrate, we light, and we reflect on the Christ child, on the Christ candle. Now that does take us to the next part of our service. The traditional part of many, many Christmas Eve services, not just here, but around the world, the lighting of just the candlelight service. And so as we light these candles, can I remind you as you hold it up, it is remind us of Christ. And as you hold it up, it is not for all com just corporately. It is for all but for you. And so just as Simeon held that baby, you too can hold in your own life Jesus Christ. Then here's the cool thing too. As you get your candle lit, you're going to light somebody else's and they're going to light somebody else's. And we will see candles lit all over this room. That reminds us that sometimes in our waiting, we don't have enough faith to do it alone, but the people around us, their testimony and their life help spur, or maybe your testimony in your life will encourage them in their own weight and their own faith. And so the candle lighting takes the story of Jesus beyond ourselves to all people. I'm going to ask the elders to come forward now. 
as we light the candles. As they're coming up here, let me just give just a couple of instructions um, when it comes to lighting the candles. Number one, it's an open flame. <laughs> so if you have your children in here, in their little bag, they have some candle lit, some, some battery-operated candles. We would much rather the children play with those than open flames in church. It just makes for a much merrier Christmas for all of us. The second thing, when it goes to lighting, if you have the lit candle, if you'll just hold it up and let the non-lit candle come to you, again, that just makes sure that we don't have to invite the fire department to come celebrate with Christmas with us here tonight. That's just a logistic of it. Um, and then as we light them, just hang on to them. Um, and then we're going to conclude together a silent night and just a special time as we just see what God does in that. So let me... light shine.
Father, tonight we are thankful that you loved us enough that you sent your son Jesus to live in this dirty, messy world, that he would be one of us, but yet you, God. And so tonight, thank you for your son, the baby Jesus, but more than that, thank you for your son, the man Jesus, who died for our sins, who was crucified on that cross, but rose again to show that he was indeed the son of God. Tonight, we say thank you, Jesus. And thank you for the salvation that we find in Jesus. And my prayer tonight is that in all of our seasons of waiting, that Jesus, you would be the center of our wait. And give us the faith and give us the trust. And we pray this in your name. Amen.